of war. There are many other weapons, but these three, I believe, are explosive, are dynamic. They are most powerful weapons to the glory of God. And I hope tonight to get into those three as soon as possible and, 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 and empower you to, uh, to arise to the use of these weapons to the glory of God. Amen. Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will anoint me to teach your word in clarity and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let your word be impartation and let your word bring transformation and help us, O oh God, to give to you a militant church and that we as each believer would arise to become soldiers in the army of the living God. Raise up also more men in the fivefold ministry that can be of such a caliber to train soldiers, Father, and not just have members, but to train soldiers, because we know your army to you, Heavenly Father, is one of the closest people in your church, O oh God. We pray, anoint me and move by thy Holy Spirit in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let Christ be exalted. Amen. Hallelujah. So, I'm teaching on three most powerful, dynamic, spiritual weapons in the hands of God's army. These weapons will cause the church to be triumphant. The word triumphant means to celebrate the victory. That is, not while the match, the boxing match, the soccer match, or the cricket match, or the rugby match is still on and your team is leading. Then there is some praise and celebration, and, and they call that a victory uh, 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 noise. But when the final whistle go, the match is over, and there is no more threat of the opponent to equalize the score or to come back and win the match after the final whistle, there breaks out a triumph among the supporters and the crowd. A triumph means to celebrate the victory. And why do I lay emphasis on that? Because Christians should know that Satan is defeated and we should live and demonstrate the triumph of our Lord Jesus Christ over the enemy and our triumph also over demons and the works of Satan. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. And Christ succeeded in his mission on the cross to destroy all the works of the devil. You might not see it displaying in the church or in every believer's life that the works of Satan is destroyed. It's because of our negligence, our immaturity. We're not rising 
up to become militant and to become soldiers. You need to know in the Bible, soldiers are of the highest value among God's children. We in Friends of Daniel Kingdom Church always greet our church this way. We greet all the members in our church. We greet all the disciples and we also greet all the soldiers because we realize there are three categories or classes of Christians. They are members and they are disciples and of the highest caliber and quality, they are soldiers. Where do we get that? We get that from the tabernacle of Moses, which had three compartments. And I repeat these things often so that it can stick. They will tell you repetition is the mother of learning. You learn by things being repeat from different angles. And that's what I've learned by my spiritual, one of my spiritual fathers, a general in spiritual warfare, Derek Prince. There's the, I have this book here, Expelling Demons. They shall expel demons. Amen. And expelling demons is just the ground force in the work of God, but to, to get overthrow, to overthrow fallen angels. That's the air force. That's the heavenly side of the warfare. Hallelujah. The word triumph you'll find in Colossians chapter 2 verse 15, which described to you Satan's defeat. The Colossians 2 15 says, under cross God disarmed principalities and powers and made a public display of them, triumphing over them through the cross. Can I quote the verse again? A very important key verse in spiritual warfare. Why must you know that we are fighting from a winning position? We are not trying to defeat the devil, we are enforcing his defeat. Do you hear me? We are just displaying and demonstrate the defeat of the devil. We are winners already. We are in the winning team of God, but that team is in the army of God. Colossians 2 verse 15 again. God disarmed principalities and powers and made a publicly public display of them, triumphing over them through the cross. To disarm your enemy means he has no leg to stand on and he's got no armor to fight you. Do you hear me? He is disarmed on the cross. Christ disarmed. Christ also made a publicly public display of Satan's defeat because one of the greatest weapons against humanity and God is the spirit of death or death itself. But Christ's resurrection was the knockout punch 
to the devil. Let me also then, secondly, first I showed you now that Satan is defeated. Secondly, we should live in triumph. And let me show you also 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says that we should display in every place the triumph of Christ over the enemy. In other words, in every place, always we should display the triumph of Christ Jesus. Amen. In, we should demonstrate the triumph of our Lord Jesus Christ. This will come about, I believe, through a remnant. Because most, now I go to the third point. Most Christians are not interested in developing into soldiers. They just want to be members and maybe even fewer move up to a higher level to become disciples. Because disciples are people that are a disciplined people. They discipline for the purpose of godliness. They have a disciplined prayer life. They have a disciplined uh, uh, time with the Bible. They have their own quiet time. They have a disciplining of the flesh, disciplined towards the world, disciplined in following the leadership in the church. Amen. The, a disciple is a follower of Christ, but most Christians cannot follow. They want to do their own thing, live their own life, but sheep follow the shepherd. Do you hear the word of the Lord? Are you a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? How can you know you are a follower? Three things. If he's your Lord, in other words, he's your supreme authority. Number two, he is the head of your life. It means he directs your life. Do you hear me? He directs your life. Praise the Lord. And he's your life source. You live for him completely. I'm trying to show you who qualify as a soldier. Even Ephesians, the letter to the Ephesians will tell you when you are developed into a, a soldier that can defend your inheritance. Because the book of Ephesians is summed up around these three words. The first three chapters speaking of being seated in Christ. Then after the fourth, by the fourth chapter, it speaks of your walk with Christ. And then chapter 6 from verse 10, it speaks of your standing as a soldier. But if you're not seated in Christ, then you cannot yet be a soldier. If you don't walk according to what God wants yeah, how you ought to walk, you cannot be a soldier. It is sit, walk, and stand. Do you hear the word of the Lord? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Let me read to you 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 and 4 to show you uh, soldiers are not entangled in everyday life affairs. You won't find a soldier in an army of any nation 
working in a factory, working a, a, a secular job. No, he's a full-time soldier. What does that mean spiritually? You, you, you are a full-time spiritual soldier. Your own job, your own occupation, it's a part-time thing. But you, as a Christian, have a mindset, a militant mindset. You are in your secular job to spread the kingdom of God, to win souls, to pray for the sick, to drive out demons, to break curses, to set people free, to deliver people from going to hell and from death in the name of the Lord. That should be every Christian spiritual soldier's mindset. In fact, it's not only a mindset, it's a heart set in the name of the Lord. I'm reading to you 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. Paul says, Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Then he says, No soldier. In other words, if a man is a soldier, no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Do you see here, number one, a soldier is somebody that's prepared to suffer hardship. Or the King James Version would say, endure hardship. In other words, he is a hard person. You understand, he can take pain, he can take uh, insults, offense, people marginalizing him, rejecting him, don't like him, but he stay the course. Amen. And he has a mind to suffer. He is prepared to suffer for the course and the mission. And then verse 4 says, he don't entangle him in everyday life affairs. What it means, he don't live here for money, for earthly things. He lives for spiritual purposes, for God's purpose. But any secular or world, a soldier of any government, do you know the government supplies needs? If a soldier is a soldier in South African army, the, uh, the government look after the education of his children, provide him a house, give him medical aid, give him money to clothe himself. In other words, the, it's the government's duty to take care of him. Just like that, if you develop into a spiritual soldier, God will take care of all your needs so that you don't get entangled in everyday life affairs. Do you hear that word entangle? Most Christians are entangled in debt. They are entangled in wrong relationships. They are entangled in wrong dreams and wrong aspirations. And they did not consult Christ as their head to lead them. Do you hear the word of the Lord? Another thing of a soldier, he is under authority. 
Do you hear me? Let's turn to Psalm. I'll read to you a Psalm. A Psalm 141. 141. Psalm 141. And here it will tell you a soldier is a man that takes instructions. Praise God. That submit himself to instructions. I'm reading uh, um, uh, Psalm 141. Let me try and get it for you in the King James Version. Because it is the right translation when it comes to this verse. Psalm 141. It says here in verse Verse 5, Psalm 141, verse 5 says, Let the righteous man smite me. That word smite is, let a righteous man correct me, or let him train me, let him give me instruction. Verse 5 says, it shall be a kindness to you, and let him reprove me. It shall be an excellent oil which shall not break my head. For yet my prayer also shall be for, uh, for them in their calamities. Can I explain the verse? And then you can read it at your own leisure. It's a righteous man. I'm trying to show you who in the fivefold ministry has the caliber or the ability to train soldiers. They must be like a righteous man. Do you hear me? And then they must have people that they can correct and give instruction. And the receiver of the instruction and the correction will see it as a kindness. Even reproof. He will see as something that he welcomes in his life. And then if the person submit to correction, to training, to instruction, it shall then release an anointing over such a person that will have excellent oil. Excellent oil. In other words, somebody that stand out, that excel. Hallelujah. And it says, it shall not break my head. In other words, the person will know this person is not out to destroy me, but is out to form me as a soldier. Then it says further on verse 5 of Psalm 141, even if my instructor has problems and faults in his own life, I won't exploit it, but I will pray for him because we are all we all have our, our failures, our low points, and our struggles. Praise God, like David had his uh, inner struggles, but yet he was a commander in the of the army of God. Hallelujah. I'm reading this vital verse again. Psalm 141. Let a righteous man correct or instruct or train me. It shall be a kindness. In other words, I will receive it with gladness. I know it is meant 
to make me a soldier. Even if he reproves me, it's, and the result will be, there will be released excellent oil over those who submit and obey to such an instructor in the name of the Lord. Amen. It shall not break my head. The verse says, you know, if you correct your child, he might cry as if all of his life you are destroying. No, in the future, it brings forth wonderful fruit in his life. Many who are grown-ups and have their own children today are very glad for their parents' spanking, their parents' discipline. But at that time, when they were young, they didn't take it kindly. They felt, my parent is against me, uh, prohibit me going with certain friends, coming in home late and all of that. So many members in the church of God are like that. But most people in the church of God stays under membership level. As soon as the leader exercises authority, correction, instruction, people leave. Those who are members or they sit there in a rebellious state and anytime they can become disloyal and turn out to be like a Judas and betray the work of God and the man of God. But I want to show you too who are qualified to be trainers of soldiers. Look at Psalm 144. Verse 1, it says, Blessed be the Lord, my strength, who teaches my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Let me tell you the fivefold ministry. These are the five fingers in the hand of God. But a man in the fivefold ministry, his life must be in the hand of God. Do you hear me? It is God who trains my hand for war and my fingers for battle. If a man of God, his life is in the hand of God, his life is under the headship of Christ, his life is under the lordship of Christ. Lordship means the Lord owns him. Amen. And being in the hand of God means that he is not out of hand, but is in the hand of God. David, who is a type of our Lord Jesus, picked five stones, and those five stones were in his hands. Do you hear me? As revelations will tell you, the stars are in, the seven stars of the church is in the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And he's also directed by the head of the church. Then he can train people with that hand. He can reign, he can train people after the hand of God. Hallelujah. Let me get to what I want to share with you about our mighty explosive weapons in war. Hallelujah. Number one, the first one that I described to you last week is the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now you might think you know all, but you need a revelation of this name, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the proper name of Him. Many just use the name Jesus or Christ, but Lord speaks of He is the highest supreme authority. It's this what Satan cannot take. I've driven out lots of demons and deliver many Christians from demons. Do you hear me? But I know the demon in the person goes crazy if you say I come in the name of the Lord Jesus. You, that person who is under demon influence cannot even say Jesus is my Lord because the demon will prohibit and prevent him of saying Jesus is my Lord. Amen. Do you hear the Lord Jesus Christ? Let me say to you there are five things that you must know of this name. Number one. You must know the authority and power of this name. Do you hear me? Number two, you must know the blood, the power of the blood of Jesus in this name. Number three, you must know the word of God that is in this name. Number four, you must know the anointing. That's in this name. And number five, you must know the faith that is in this name. Do you have that? I'm trying my utmost best to show you when you speak this name, when you preach in this name, when you lay hands on the sick in this name, when you break powers of curses. In this name that you must know the explosive nuclear power that's in this name. If you don't know it, the demon, the devil know and he won't listen to you. How do you know that, Pastor Edgar Michaels? Acts chapter 19, the Bible says the seven sons of Sceva, they call out the name of Jesus whom Paul preached over a demon-possessed person. But the demons did not listen, because the channel through whom the name came was not, there was no faith in the name. There was no purity in the life of the people that mentioned the name. So it's not that the name is a magical something about it. No, it's the person behind the name. Do you hear me? Like Nelson Mandela's name has authority. If you have a letter from Nelson Mandela, sign his signature there in the days when he lived, it brings great, it can open doors for you. Even when me and my wife, we were in Israel, when we walked there in the Bethlehem area of the Arabs and we wanted to buy some things, we said we're from South Africa. 
They say, oh, are you from Mandela's country? We said, yes. Immediately, they gave us a discount and they tried to help us in many, many ways because we come from the country of Nelson Mandela. If you come in the Queen's name, the Queen of England, if you come in the name of the President of the United States of America and you can prove it with a signature, it opened doors for you. Do you hear me? Years ago when I came to the Lord, one of my first spiritual fathers, he, I, 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 I bought all his books, E.W. Kenyon, who is the father of, who was the father of, of Kenneth Hagen and Kenneth Copeland. Do you hear me? And many, many others of the faith movement. Amen. E.W. Kenyon. I bought all his books, 10 or more, because I was introduced to this man. And one of his major scriptures was, Greater is he who is in you than him who is in the world. Do you hear me? But he had a, and he has a book, and the book is called The Wonderful Name of Jesus. And in the front at the, uh, uh, of the book, it stands, man, hundreds and hundreds of people got healed through just reading this book about the wonderful name of Jesus. You know, Isaiah chapter 9 says, His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, the Everlasting Father. Oh man, there are five dimensions even mentioned in Isaiah chapter 9 about this name. His name shall be Wonderful. In other words, Astonishing Power. His name shall be the Mighty God. His name shall be Counselor. His name shall be Prince of Peace. His name is Explosive. It's nuclear power in the name. But you cannot be in like Acts chapter 19. As many Christians mention the name without faith in the name, without purity behind the name. And the demon said to them, Jesus we know. And about Paul we know. But who are you? My God, listen to me. Many, it's like taking the ark and bring it into the warfare in the day of Eli. When they, the ark speaks of the full authority of the Lord Jesus in the Old Testament. When they brought the ark in the camp against the Philistines in the day of Eli. You know what happened? The Philistines took the ark. Wow! And Israel was defeated. Eli's two sons died in the battle. Eli fell from his chair and broke his neck. And the glory of God departed out of Israel. So many churches want to celebrate and be excited and call the name of Jesus. And to their, their astonishment, the devil don't listen to them. Even, even David brought the ark in an unlawful way into Israel. And somebody got slain dead. 
right there. And David was shocked. And David, the Bible says, knew he must fear the Lord. My God, do you hear me? I'm trying to say to you the authority of the name. Amen. Now I want to describe you those five things. It's, you know what? The name of Jesus is like a bullet. I heard there's some guns, AK-4s. If the bullet hits the target, there in the bullet there are maybe five kinds of iron. And then when it hits the target, the bullet explodes. And five kinds of other things come out of the bullet. I'm trying to show you and giving you an example that the name of Jesus is like a nuclear bomb. Do you hear me? You heard the bomb that went off or the explosion in Lebanon that for kilometers the explosion took place in the, in the harbor of Lebanon and many people died. Do you hear me? The name of Jesus is most powerful. It's dynamic. Dynamic means it has dynamite in it. Do you hear me? I'm trying to describe you the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It works in all dimension. Let me go through those five things about the name. This is the first of the three most powerful weapons in Christian spiritual Warfare. Number one, in the name is all authority in heaven and on earth. Jesus said, Matthew chapter 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go and baptize people in my name. Do you hear me? In other words, Christians who have grown up to be soldiers must know their in the name is all authority in heaven and on earth. Amen. And then Luke, I'm describing you the power and the authority. Luke chapter 10, verse 17, 18, and 19 will say that the 70 returned and said, Lord, demons are subject to us in your name. Then Jesus says, Behold, I give you authority. Over all the power of the enemy. And you shall tread upon serpents and scorpions. And nothing shall hurt you by any means. Wow. Behold means. Bring all your senses to this fact. Because I'm going to make a statement of fact. That will astonish you. He says in my name. Is all authority. Over the enemy. You shall tread upon serpents and scorpions and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Number two, what's in the name? The blood, the power of the blood. Revelation chapter 12 will tell you we overcome the accuser through the blood of the Lamb. The word of our testimony and by not loving our lives even to the point of death. The point of death means you in this war, whether you live or die, a soldier is a dead man walking. Amen. But I'm speaking about the power of the blood of Jesus. 
Amen. The blood silenced the accuser of the brethren. Amen. Praise God. You must always pray through the blood of Jesus. You must always confess all your sins. Even my preaching must be cleansed in the blood. Even your prayer must be cleansed in the blood. Even your tears must be cleansed in the blood. Even our praise and worship need to be cleansed in the blood. Even the raising of your hands and your dancing must be cleansed in the blood. Because God is holy and a consuming fire. And only what comes through the blood can stand in his presence and be acceptable to him. The third thing in the name of Jesus is the word of God. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. The word of God is living. It is active. It pierced through bones and marrow. It's like a two-edged sword discerning the Thoughts and intention of man. Do you see the word of God? Jesus is the word of God. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. And the word became flesh. Amen. If you speak the word of God. Psalm 33. Very important verse. Psalm 33. It says there, verse, verse 6, it says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were formed, and by the breath of his mouth, all its host. Do you know, Derek Princess put the two together. It says, when the word and the spirit connect, it has creative power, but it's all in this name. In other words, in the name of Jesus, who carries the word of God, there is creative ability. Amen. If there was no lung uh, or the uh, one lung is not good, the Lord can create a new lung. If there's one eye missing, the Lord can create an eye. Because the world was spoken into being. Out of nothing, something came into being. And it came into being by the God speaking the word. And then the, it connects with the spirit. And something comes into being that never existed. Oh, the power of the word. Lastly, before the last point of the five things that's in the name. The spirit of God is in the name. The anointing is in the name. Isaiah chapter 10. Verse 27 says, it's the anointing that breaks the yoke and lifts the burden. Hallelujah. The Spirit of God is in this name. It breaks every yoke and every burden. The fifth thing in the name is faith. Peter said, to, to the people that were cross-questioning them in Acts chapter 3. He says it was faith in this name that healed this person that were 40 years lame. Faith in this name raised him up. Hallelujah. It's the faith 
in the name. I'm closing by uh, I'm closing with the first weapon and I'm quoting Philippians chapter 2 where the Bible says God highly exalted him and gave him a name that is above every other name that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Philippians 2 that I just quoted tells you this name has power and the supreme authority in three areas. In heaven, that's among the angels, even fallen angels, and on the earth, and even under the earth, that's the place called Yal, this name, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess to this name. The second weapon that is most powerful weapon. Do you want to know it? It's the fear of God. Amen. And I want to break down what the fear of God brings. Isn't that strange? If someone fears God, he is explosive. He's dangerous.